Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm joined by Leah Stallone, founder of The Career Edit, a full-service career strategy firm partnering with those ready to write or rewrite their career story. As a lifelong career junkie, Leah spent the first 15 years of her career in talent management, helping others find their professional sparkle. As the career editor, Leah shares the power of storytelling to help clients create meaningful career moments. In this conversation, we talk about all things career search. Leah helps explain how to tell if and when it's time to look for a new job, uh, how to write your career story in a way that sets you up for your ideal role, what to put in that story, and more importantly, what to leave out of that story. And we talk a lot about the importance of networking and how to network effectively. That's a topic that trips up a lot of people, and there's a lot of good back and forth in that part of this interview. There's a lot in here. If you are looking for a new job, if you think you might need to look for a new job, I think you'll really appreciate what Leah has to say. Uh, Without further ado, here is Leah Stallone. And we are live. Leah, welcome to the show. Very excited to dive into all manner of uh, career and career transition topics with you today. Yeah, excited to be here. If we could just start by having you pitch the career edit, your company, and what it is that you do. Yeah. So the career edit is a full service career strategy firm, which what that means is we work with individuals who are thinking about or in the middle of a job search or individuals who are in a role that have some sort of big, hairy goal they want to tackle. So on one hand, we work with individuals. On the other hand, O'Brien, we work with corporations. So on that side, we do training and facilitation with companies who are really looking to bring storytelling into the workplace. Oh, that's interesting. And so what element of storytelling? Could you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So the premise behind it is that all of us have a career story of sorts, right? And There is a driving theme that really links together our strengths, what we're bringing to the table, what we're looking to do in the future. And the cool part about that, O'Brien, is that we have the ability to control that story. And that's something that I think a lot of people forget, right? We think like what happened has happened. But in a career story, you really have the ability to piece those kind of landmarks together along the way. And create a new target for yourself of what you're looking to do in the future. I think storytelling most often comes up as it relates to, as I mentioned, the job search, 
but it also comes up in the workplace. I mean, I even think of your job in a sales role. How many times are you telling stories to relay value? All the time. Yeah. So that's an interesting concept because I think some people will say like, oh, I, I think people won't think of their career as a story, right? They just think of it as their career. They think about what happened. And so then when they're out talking to somebody looking for a new job, it's like, well, yeah, here's, you know, here's my experience. Here's my resume. How do you help shape that into a story? What kind of a story are they shaping? Well, I think the most important part of that is identifying a target because without a target job or role, you're right. That story is not going to have like a clear driver within it. And so in thinking about that, I work with clients to do a bit of exploratory work as it relates to identifying what are their passions? What are their areas of expertise? Where is that really clear motivation for them so that we can identify a target? With that in mind, the storytelling is really related to what they want to do in the future more so than what they've done in the past. A good example, I don't know if This will bring some of that to light, but a good example is just something as simple as I work with a lot of people who have a common complaint, which is I don't want to manage people anymore. So they come to me and as we're kind of walking through, they're like must-haves and hope to avoid that comes up. But when we get down to the nitty gritty of their job materials, they talk about managing every other line on their resume. You know, it's all over their LinkedIn profile. It's in almost every answer they have or every story that they tell about their accomplishments. And so that's where you really have to kind of tip it on its head is if we need to put out into the world what you want to do more of. Mm, And so really kind of using, it's almost like a filter you use as you look backwards. Why are they putting management all over their resume? Is it because that's the experience they've had. And so they're putting it in there, or is it because that's what they think is the most prestigious thing that they've done? That's a really good question. I think most of the time people think that their resume is supposed to be a literal uh, summary of their job. And think about it in regards to the breakdown. Oh, I did 25% presentations. I did 50% XYZ. So they actually reflect it as just a very literal summary of what their job was. Like a but time I, recap. Like Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they're like taking a, a lie detector test and they feel like I need to include everything, even the stuff that I hated so much that I would hate to do it again. When in reality, like you are really stating a case for your next stop in your career path, right? So I'm going to talk about things that I've done that are related to that next step, not necessarily going through line by line what I did on a day-to-day basis. All right. So I feel like we're we're wading into the, the deeper water here, and I want to maybe back us up to the shallow end and, and we can sort of progress in. want to talk first about people who are looking for a new job. So you're working somewhere. Something is going on in your head that says, I need to go find something else. How do you help people decide whether they really need a new job or whether they just 
are feeling a little bit of the grass could be greener somewhere else, or whether it's just burnout and they're going to burn themselves out no matter where they work. Like those seem to be kind of the three things that I would think you'd run into the most. Like, yes, you need a new job. No, you're just burned out. We need to solve that problem. Or you're just sort of impatient and you think the grass is going to be greener. Yeah, I was going to say it. it's actually a probably a few more okay. when I think of it. And this is like the big question as we think about career transition work is what is the motivation behind this, which is huge. And sometimes people don't always know. But obviously with COVID, it really created even more confusion in this area yeah. because we people- Because we're all burnout. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> working at home. What does it say? Like, I live at work. That's kind of what some people felt like during this time is that there was really no clear separation. And so burnout was really prevalent. I mean, I think quotes are something like 69, 70% of people during the work at home time over COVID experience burnout. So it's huge. And so when I think about it, how I really approach it is we have to get to that, that motivation, which again, off the cuff, if you ask someone why they don't necessarily know. So the exploration on that side to me is really tiered three different ways. I'm either looking to understand whether A, they're burnt out and really need to treat that right now before they can make any sort of level-headed decision. B, this is not the right job for them, right? And they need to move on. Or C, it's kind of related to the first one, but it has to do with mental health. Because there is a difference between what I've seen in the stress related to burnout and something deeper, maybe like depression or you know clinical anxiety that requires a higher level of care. So one of the things I've really kind of put into practice is working with counselors. And I don't mean like we're in the same room together, but I mean being open to the fact that, hey, this is outside of my line of work. And there will be moments when I do have to tap out, if that makes sense, to refer them to speak to a counselor or a professional of that manner. What I usually find, O'Brien, is that it does have to do with the specific instances or situations that are really taxing them. And I think about it like this. One of the complaints that, again, these complaints really fall into many buckets, but it could be something as simple as, I'm really not motivated to complete this project, right? And it's like, what does this mean, right? People always want to know what it means, and we're looking for that. If it's one project, you may just be a little bit burnout. If it's every project, we may be talking about something bigger here. And again, I think on that note, it may be something like you're not challenged in your role. Like you need something that's really going to kind of engage you more. So what does the work look like then to figure out what the issues are and what they really do want to do? Yeah. So a lot of it, we call it in the coaching world, it's called exploratory work, right? And a lot of what that does is it can you can engage through exercises. That can be something as simple as journaling. It can be something as simple as conversations that you host with the people closest to you. 
I also use assessments as well to really engage, again, their, their unique motivations as well. I oftentimes use the authentic vocation model. And the authentic vocation model is, it's a way to look at how to find a job that hits on all of your passions. And what it does is it looks through a series of, I believe it's eight total areas. And the last area is that business reality. Does all of this make sense? Can I do all of this in the current environment? So I think a lot of that, O'Brien, has to do with leading that openness. When I think of a traditional one-on-one coaching call, it is very much problem resolution. We're thinking about what we can do and what that person can do to take charge of finding an answer for that question. So I guess that's a really long way to say it's really different based on the person, but there are some really cool tools we can tap on. Do you have any good questions that people could use to journal on? Oh, yeah. You know, I think when they're thinking about their passion and really where they want to end up being, I think one of the most interesting ones to look at is really thinking back to their past. And this could be high school, this could be childhood, but really thinking about when you were at that age, what career did you think you would pursue? Or what job did you pick for your first part-time job and why? It's interesting how deep some of those threads are in what we end up doing in, in our lives, or even something that we haven't thought about for a long time. We're like, God, I was super engaged in whatever that was. So I think a prompt as simple as that can really lead to a wealth of information. Yeah, it's interesting to to go back and look at some of that stuff. I mean, do you um, remember what you wanted to be when you were younger? Well, so I, I have a story related to that where I really enjoy writing and I enjoy reading fiction and I, I enjoy writing it. And a number of years ago, I decided I was going to write a novel. And so I I did. Long story short, and I but I didn't I would, know this. Amazing, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it's not published. Uh, I tried very hard, uh, but for a number of reasons, it did not get published. Quality being one of them, but uh, but I was proud of it, and I actually published it myself. So I've got a copy of it actually sitting right here behind me. But the the point of the story is that I called a friend of mine who I had known. It was I was very close to in middle school. And then she went away to a different high school, and but we we've stayed in touch, but we haven't really gone to school together since middle school. And I said, you know, yeah, I'm about halfway through this project. Here's what I'm doing, blah blah blah. And she just goes, oh, that makes sense. And I was like, oh, why do you say that? And she's like, oh, I can remember you talking about that like in middle school. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, I just can remember you being like, oh man, what if you know, what if you write a book about X or what if you could write a book about Y? And, and then sure enough, like in college or in high school, I took a creative writing class and I like went back and found that notebook and had it had a bunch of story ideas in it. And then in college, I got into filmmaking and actually wrote a couple short films and like used that as a and so it's like it turns out it actually has been a thread through most of my life. But I didn't think I was just like, oh, I'm gonna do this big thing. And like, this will be the first thing I do. But the reality was that I'd been doing it all the way back to then. So when you, it is funny, my, my brother had a similar 
experience with his athletic career where he had like written a note to himself in like third grade on what he wanted to accomplish. And he accomplished almost all of it by the time he graduated college and then got the note. Like his teacher sent it to his third grade teacher, sent it to him when he graduated college. It is unbelievable how often that happens. And it can be even something as simple as, I mean, when I was in high school, I was a waitress. And the reason I was a waitress was because I could not settle for making minimum wage, right? If there was a way I could bust my butt to earn more money, I was going to do it. So it was really no surprise when like my first five years out of school, I was in sales because I wanted to be in control. I mean, even little features like that come up again and again. Yeah. Something that comes up a lot during that exercise is there's always going to be areas that may not be something you want to pursue from them then, right? I mean, even thinking about today, when I was little, I loved the sun and swimming. I remember I had this like Coca-Cola swimsuit and there was writing all over it that said Coca-Cola and there were some that were in white and I tanned through it. So I had like Coca-Cola emblazoned across parts of my body Literal because of branding. the sun. Yeah. Yes, yes. I was definitely early branding for them. But long story short, I mean, yeah, of course, I would love to be the person who runs your cabanas right now, like on the beach in Florida. But when I think about business reality, it's not an option right now, right? And that business reality is a part of that authentic vocation model is really thinking through, okay, well, what makes sense now that I have to pay my bills? What's going on with the market? I mean, COVID brought a whole new series to light in regards to what areas would I probably not go into right now, right? Yeah. yeah I Talking about like past experiences and stuff, have you read Simon Sinek's Start With Why? I've read pieces of it. I haven't read the whole thing. One of the big takeaways that I had from that was that you can see the connections in high, in hindsight easier than you can see them in real time. And so to look back at your life and all of the things that you've really enjoyed doing and try to find what the threads are through those things. And so like for me, I look back and I've done a wide range of things, but the theme is new experiences and creativity. Like that, that's something that I really enjoy. And so that has taken me into all sorts of different endeavors, different experiences, different mediums, but like, like, you know, but traveling all over the world, I've seen a bunch of things, but like that creativity and that exploration, that learning something new, I was, I'd say it's probably learning and creativity has really driven a lot of what I've done in my life. So you can look back and if you journal out all the things that you've done that you've really, that are kind of a part of you that have been meaningful to you, you can see what the themes are of those things. Yeah. And That kind of leads to another question that I often ask my clients when they're at that initial exploratory stages. You know, I really want you to journal about those things you've done that fill you with energy. And we always know when we have like that actual body, you know, reverb, as I think of it, when you're doing something or after you're done, that really you feel a little bit on fire. And it can be something as simple as I was talking to a room full of people, and the takeaway is, Wow, I like I like verbally communicating. I like being in front of an audience. Um or it can be something bigger, right? Like when I was in grad school, you know, I felt this amazing 
kind of connection with the people around me? So I think that is a really good question. I want to say the one thing you mentioned about Simon Sinek, which I think is such a good point. You say kind of looking back and looking, we can make those connections with hindsight. And what's so important to think about and connect when we're doing that is we have to think about our audience. And this comes up a lot when when I'm doing career coaching, because what we want to do is the interviewer is also doing the same exact thing. They want a story that makes sense. So we need to feed those connections to them. Really explain the story in a matter that in a matter that makes makes sense, where we're pointing out kind of the commonality and how I got here today in such a manner for them. We need to deliver it to them on a tray, right? Yeah. It seems like in modern society, we're all looking for purpose. Like there's a lot more talk around purpose and there's a lot of pressure to find the most purposeful thing that you can do with your entire life and commit yourself to it at a very young age. And that can just screw you up on your career path. And, you know, I've, I've felt it, I fight against it and sort of try to, I try to recognize it for what it is, but I, you, I see other people battling with it too. And I just would be curious on your advice or how you work with clients who kind of come in and are like, God, I just don't know. I, you know, I, I want this big thing. I want it to be right, but I don't know what that is. Like, obviously this journaling helps, but how do you people, how do you help people like cut through that and like t- maybe take the next job off the pedestal and just help them figure out like where they need to apply themselves next? Yeah. I think it's important to really get candidates or clients in the right frame of mind as it relates to a job search. Because if someone's looking for the job, they're just going to blow up, right? With the pressure, the combustion on this is my job for the next however long. And we all know that's not really how the world's working anymore. You know, people are making job changes way more regularly than they did when I first came out of college. And so it's it's way closer to a gig economy, right? And so I think the 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 way to get clients thinking about their next move is to think about not the perfect job, but what is the right job for me right now? Because there's so many other parts of our ecosystem that are swirling around. You know, there's our personal life, there's our family, right? There's our outside interests, our hobbies, what have you. Things are going to change and I have no doubt that what is important to them today is going to be different in a few years. So kind of looking at it in that shorter term frame, I think is really helpful. Do you see a lot of people trying to turn their hobbies into their careers? No, I actually see the opposite. And it's one of those areas that I do want to educate them and encourage them to think about how they could encircle their hobbies into their careers. Because I think most people come in and they're like, well, that doesn't matter. Yeah, I love craft beer or I am a huge baseball fan, but that doesn't matter. Like in what I'm doing today, I'm an accountant, right? And I try to really encourage them to think about this bigger picture of what sort of 
sideways activity or sideways movement can you make so you can take your skill set today and make it meaningful in a different environment? Um, so maybe that is, you know, being an accountant for a major league baseball team or something cool like that. But there are opportunities everywhere. And I think a lot of people who are what I would call mid-career, there's a little mantra running in the back of their head that's like, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, right? There's a part of me that I, in a, in a kind way, I want to shake them a little and say, hey, there's jobs in those environments, right? So yeah. let's look at it. Like, let's break it down. Is this something that could be a logical next step? Do you see people embrace that or is it just too scary? I think, I think I see both. I mean, there are some people who, if their priority, for example, is money, if their priority is money, I most likely see them not embrace it because making a change like that likely involves a lateral, likely, but we never know, right? I'd say the people who are more open to pursuing their passions tend to be people who are at the start of their career. Because they don't have as much to lose, right? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about passions too. I remember, I'm gonna, I don't know the exact quote. It was, it was an article that I read from, uh, written by Mike Rowe, who was the host of Dirty Jobs. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about that advice, oh, follow your passions. And he was saying, that's bullshit. He was saying, like, especially at the beginning of your career, you don't really even know what your passions are. You don't have enough experience about the world to really know all the things that you could be passionate about. And in order to really have a fulfilling career, you have to go out and you have to commit yourself to something and you have to get good at it. And that lo and behold, when you get good at something, you tend to enjoy it more. And so what we should be pursuing is find something you like and then pursue mastery in it and learn to love it. I'd be curious just your reaction to that kind of advice versus the the follow your passion and kind of where you fall on the spectrum. Well, it's interesting. You know, I do think people who like their jobs tend to be better at them for sure. I do think that there's different people out there who have an idea of how they want to use their passion. And some people don't want to bring them into the workplace. Some people's passions are, you know, boating on the weekend or running, right? And it's not anything they even want involved in their day-to-day work. So I, I think it depends on the person for sure. I mean, I think they have to be open to risk, open to change. But I think more than anything, as I think about people considering bringing their passion into their work, they just need to have conversations. I mean, that's a lot of what's missing. I feel like these days is that instead of, you know, calling up someone we know who works in the field or trying to connect, we're just making these blanket assumptions that are, that's off limits. I can't do that. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't be good at that. Right. Instead of just reaching out to find out more. Yeah. Well, there's an element too. So there's finding out more, which I want to dive into that Mm -hmm. topic here in a second, but there's also the element where I think we all have the tendency to look and see the best example of the thing and say, oh, well, that's unattainable. 
And the reality is, yes, it is unattainable right now because you haven't put in the time or work that that person has put in. So no, you can't go be the starting quarterback on the NFL team because you haven't been practicing football for your entire life. You know, and it's like, but that doesn't mean you can't get on the path. I think the path is so smart, O'Brien, because I mean, you're right. People hold up these icons almost, right, of success in the field, but they also sometimes are thinking about the transition in a slightly like fast, fast paced manner. They think, you know, today I'm in marketing, tomorrow I'm going to be in investment banking. There's no hops, there's no like little stones along the path to get there. When in reality, a successful job transition that is that dramatic, that is like a two, three, four step process to get there. And it's possible. I mean, there's no doubt it's possible, but you have to start thinking about what are my transferable skills? How can I get a little bit closer? And how can I get a little bit closer rather than ta-da, tomorrow, you know, I am, I am an investment banker. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember having a, a conversation Sorry, I feel like I'm telling a lot of stories here, but mm. I, I remember having a conversation. I have a cousin who's been kind of a mentor of mine. Uh, he was also on the podcast. Shout out to Jim Sharp. Uh, who's He's seven years older than I am, and I'm seven years older than my youngest brother and who you know. So we, the three of us were at dinner one night, and it was interesting because my my youngest brother, Pete, was just about to come out of college. And so he was thinking about school. I was seven years into my career and Jim was 14 years into his career. And so we were all sort of talking about it. And Jim had an interesting observation, which is like, he was talking about it being your 20s, but I think it's just the first phase of your career is like, just figure out the trajectory you want to be on, figure out which path you want to be walking and try a bunch. And yeah. And you you don't have to make the most money, you don't have to have the most prestigious job, but you just need to first you need to figure out which path you even want to be on. And then once you figure that out, then you figure out how you run that path as fast as you can, make it the most successful path that you can be on, right? That that's how you figure out how you get that thing some elevation and start mm-hmm. taking off, building mastery and and purpose. And I think you're right. I mean, in the early part of your career, learning what you don't like is even more important than learning what you like. I call that my 20s. Right? I mean, the whole time, just like learning, like, I'm really bad at that, or I don't like doing that. Yeah. Or I don't want to work with people like that. That's a huge takeaway because I have to tell you, watching, and people go through that in their 30s and 40s, they do. And it's, really brutal, right? For them to be experiencing for the first time a job that they're not good at. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the best things that happened to me was that I couldn't keep a job. Not that I got fired, but I, I just hated every job I had for the first four years I was out of school. And I think I had five W-2s in four years. And I just worked in all these environments where I was like, I do, I do not like this. I don't, I don't like the environment. I don't like the work. I don't like the people. I don't like the leadership. This isn't how I want to treat other people. It's not how I want to operate. And then I finally landed in the job I am in now. And I remember going to my first meeting with my mentor, who's now the CEO of the Midwest. 
And I remember just like watching him operate in there and the, the relief that I had was like palpable. I mean, I could feel the relief. I could feel the weight coming off because I was like, oh, you can operate the way that I want to operate. You can do it the way that I want to do it. And he was, you know, obviously much more successful at it than I was at the time. I was at the very beginning of the path, but I was like, oh, the, there is a path that I can walk in a way that's authentic to me. And lo and behold, I've been there 12 years now. Well, I was going to say, you have to be pretty darn persistent yeah, to, to get there because we all look around us for signs or confirmation. Am I doing the right thing? Is this how people behave? Is this what to expect? And especially when you're early in your career, if you're not persistent and you're not taking or reading internal signs from your from yourself, you're going to look around you and be like, oh, I guess this is what you know, work is like, like, I guess I just better get used to this rather than like getting out there and looking for something different. So let me role play two scenarios with you, right? One is the, one is the 20 something who's like, yeah, okay. I hear you Leah, but I'm only 20 something years old. I don't have the experience. I, you know, I have to pay my dues. You know, my boss won't let me behave that way. Like, I, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, I would tell you for sure, I have a client like this right now. And what we're doing is we're going through the exploratory to application process together. And the whole premise behind it is that by the end of our sessions, I think you know this, but my background's primarily learning and development. So I bring this whole educational piece to all of my coaching sessions. It's hard to actually keep them separate. So my goal is that she's going to lead this process. And while we're, we're focusing on one target job, one target job, you can imagine she's 25 years old. She has a million interests. And I told her, I said, Hey, I want you to be able to do this. I'm going to teach you how to do this for one job, one target, then you're going to be able to replicate it. And so I think it's a skill. It's like a true skill build so that from then on, you're right. I mean, she's going to have a million interests to pursue, but she'll know how to actually go after something the right way rather than what a lot of people think of is they're like, just apply for jobs, just throw your resume against the wall, you know, see where it lands, see who wants you. I want to really empower my clients where they control where they end up. And you have to be really thoughtful about that in all, all of the materials you're using your branding. I mean, I know we throw around this term a lot, but it's super important is figuring out, you know, what is your story? I talk about, or I think about things being balanced a lot and, you know, it's generally it's never at the extremes. And so there's, there's on the one hand, you have to be empowered to go out and take control of the path that you're walking. And then you also have to be humble enough to then slot in and do whatever the job is that needs to be done. So you have to you have to lead yourself and then you have to follow and be a part of the group. Yeah, there's a dose of reality that I think we all have to yeah. take. I mean, I think a lot of people like you said when they find the path they want to be in, they are ready. They are ready to be at the top. They're ready to run the show. And sometimes they do have to look around them and realize they're going to have to put in some reps first, which I think can be a lot. But there's so much to learn along the way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's a, for anybody who's hard charging or type A or, you know, has a goal, there's some humility that has to come along with that too. Yeah. Um, so let, let's role play the other scenario then. So that's the 25 year old who like doesn't feel empowered because they, they don't feel like they've earned the ability yet to go out and act empowered. But there's the other side too, where it's like, you know, you start ticking over into your thirties maybe, or, or even into 40 and you're like, yeah, but how could I make a change at 35? You know, how, how could I just make a change at 40? And, and what do you say to those people who don't feel empowered because they feel, they feel they're so far down the path that they can't step off? Yeah, I think a part of that is providing some perspective to really boost their confidence. Because in those scenarios, what I see more often than not are that they can't imagine a place that would be looking for someone like them, right? They can't imagine how they're going to make that that shuffle step to get to that next opportunity. And I think that's because, you know, we live in our own bubbles and what seems mundane to them, maybe what they're doing in their role right now, super exciting to someone else, right? And it's all about that positioning that we have to really get their confidence up, help them practice telling their own story, and really thinking about their accomplishments in a new way. Because I'm very confident. I always tell my clients, like, one of the things you get with this relationship is that no one would say, I am lacking of energy or excitement about job searching. I am such a strong believer that the perfect job is out there for everyone not to like romanticize it, but the perfect job for right now, the one that they're going to be so excited the, to the go The perfect to, next job. Yeah. The perfect next step for them. So, you know, I really, I think they need a boost of confidence at that stage. Yeah. Want to circle back even further than that, because I did say that we were going to get back to it. You made the comment a couple of times about, you know, go out and meet with people in that field. So, there is a huge element to networking when it comes to landing a job. And I've heard it thrown around, you know, it's not how qualified you are, it's who you know. And would love to hear you talk about networking and when people should be doing it, how they should be doing it, just how should people be thinking about it as they progress through their career and then as they start to look for a new job? Yeah, I think this is such a buzzword right now. Close to 70% of people are getting their jobs through their network. But I always remind people that we can have a little looser definition of what your network is. Because I think we normally think of things like my old colleagues, my old bosses, right? Maybe my clients. But this actually includes your friends, your family, the neighbor down the street, the 7-Eleven person you talk to every day. It includes recruiters, you know, executive search firms. It's really anyone you could have a relationship with. In theory, big picture, we should always be networking. And that can be something as simple as adding them to your LinkedIn account, exchanging information, looking for opportunities to, I say, offer favors, right? Because that is such a great currency in the networking world, which is how can I proactively help someone 
because I never know when I could need their help down in the future. Yeah. So what does good networking look like? Is it just like if I have 50,000 LinkedIn connections, does that mean I'm a good networker? No, it means you have like a really good Rolodex or really good contact book, right? But it's what you do with it. When I think about a really good networker, they are able to translate and interpret their career needs to a very diverse audience. That's a good networker. So I'm talking again to my next door neighbor who has nothing to do with my industry. And I need to really frame the conversation and what I do in a different way. What I see is that most people around us, they want to help you, but they don't know how. And a rookie networking mistake that I see a lot of people make, very well-intentioned, but is they, they like slam out their resume and they say, do you know of anything available? Or tell me if you know of any openings. They're being genuine, but what they don't know is let's think about the person on the other side of that email. O'Brien gets the email. O'Brien's like, I have no idea what a chemical engineer does or who they would work with. So you click delete. So a really good networker, they're able to translate that. And it could be as simple as most people don't know the tasks of that role, but they do know company names. And they are able for me to say, do you know anyone who works at AbbVie or who works at um, Bayer? Who do you know who works there, right? Something that's clear and specific really ups the networking game because people generally want to be able to answer your question. So the more specific you are, the better. The other thing that I think goes by the wayside quite a bit is people who are job searching and networking, they often feel timid because they feel like they're putting people out, right? Like I haven't talked to you in a few years and now I'm reaching out. Now I need something from you and this feels awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, don't forget the power of asking for people's opinions. That's huge. I think most people like to have their opinion asked. I mean, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of, hey, I value your thoughts. So approaching someone in your network and asking them, hey, I have a marketing plan related to my job search. I'd love to pick your brain. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Do you have 15 minutes? Is totally different than, hey, I'm job searching. Do you know of any jobs? Yeah. Right? Well, there's a axiom in uh, the nonprofit world that says, ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money. Oh, I love it. And it's like, you know, if you're out and you're asking for money, people will go, well, here's how you could get money. But if you're out and you're like, hey, how should we get money? People will be like, oh, here's where I can plug you in to get money. Like, here's where I can make those introductions, you know, and they'll actually connect you to the money. So that applies, I think, I think about that when it comes to my job with networking and with sales is like, rather than say, I mean, I do ask specific, I ask specifically, but to say if I, there's like somebody on LinkedIn that I want to get connected to. But if, if I don't have anything, it's like, Hey, you know, what are, who are the types of people that you would recommend reaching out to here? You know, just ways to ask that person for their perspective. You often find creates a lot of opportunity. 
It does. And I always remind my clients too that it may feel weird to reach out to people you don't know, but that is what your competition is doing. This is the norm now. This is not an exception. So got to get on that train to make some movement. Yeah. What about somebody who's interested in exploring a new field? How do they go about starting to crack into that field through a network? Yeah. Well, I always love second connections on LinkedIn. So that's one way that I think you can always start the process is, do I know anyone who knows someone who's in that field? Because a warm ask is going to go over way better, right? The second way I think is just looking for ways to get involved, whether it's association, uh, work, volunteering, anything of that nature that gets you meeting folks, again, before you ask for whatever that favor is. There are certain environments as well, like educational environments, your alumni, where, you know, shadowing, informational interviews, things of that nature is highly valued and really a tool in in that arena. So I think looking for ways to interact and then, you know, prior to asking, and as I said before, looking for that, what sort of favor can I give you before I need one is a great way to approach that. Yeah. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I I think about this a lot. I, I expanded my view at some point in my career. I don't know when it happened, but you know, when I was first starting out and I've been in sales my whole career, it's like, oh, well, I can only add value through the thing that I offer, right? Mm. Like I sell employee benefit services, right? We help companies put their benefits plans together. And so like at the beginning of my career, it would be like, oh, well, I have to add value by being an expert in benefits. And if the conversation didn't go there or there wasn't some natural introduction to that topic, I was like, well, I can't really add value to the situation. And what I've realized over time is that if you take the broadest definition of value, you're more likely to be successful. And it's what you're talking about, about giving first, right? And trying to help others and do favors. It's like, do any favor, add any amount of value. And like, I, I have somebody who's in my network now, who's still a prospective client of mine, but I had had a really tough time sort of like connecting with her originally. Then she lost her job. The job she had was eliminated. And I reached out and said, Hey, I, I can't guarantee I can help, but I'd be happy to learn a little bit about what you're looking for and keep you in mind and try to connect you with some people to find a job. So now I'm trying to add value to help her find a job. She was like, Oh, I really appreciate that. So we got coffee and now we're having a real conversation after she had kind of stonewalled me for a while. In that conversation, she we were talking about both living in the city. We wound up talking about nonprofit involvement. And it turns out she is really passionate about childhood education. And I, at the time, happened to chair the auxiliary board for a nonprofit directly related to education and underserved schools in the city. And I said, well, we're doing this event coming up. It's this dinner series and I'm hosting one and I'd love to have you and your husband come and be a guest. And she's like, that would be amazing. And so now I've added more value for her because I've connected her to something that's meaningful for her. And now she's added more value to me because she's actually donated to a cause that I care deeply about. And we've not done business together yet, but like there's a lot of value being circulated. And now if I pick up the phone and call her, she'll pick up my phone 
call anytime and be like, oh, Brian, what's going on? And, you know, we're like, yeah, we're connected. We're friends. It's a, and, it's a long game for sure, it, right? It you're, you're not doing it for the return tomorrow and you get a lot of satisfaction out of it along the way, it sounds like too. Well, that I think that's the key point is like, it's not just about the end goal of landing that next job or getting that next sale or getting the next thing that you're hunting. It's like, okay, I want that and I'm going to do enough work to get that. Like you have to do enough job search work to get a job. But along the way, you also have to be open to all of the rich experiences and value that you can be getting. And there are ways that that can add immediate value to other areas of your life. And there are ways that that's going to add value much further down the road in all of these crazy ways that you can't foresee right now. And just think too, I mean, as you talk about thinking of value broadly, people who are in a bad work environment or just got let, let go or laid off, they think they have absolutely nothing to offer many times. They're like, I don't have anything. And it, you know, a big part of that is opening their eyes. As you said, that number one, it doesn't have to just be with work. You know, it can be something as simple as I know you have an interest here and I saw this article. I thought you would like it. Yeah. You know, I read it can this really be a broad that, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I send people books all the time because I'll have a conversation and it'll spark an idea that I read in a book. And I'll say, you know, I, th- I think this would help you solve that problem. And I'll just send them the book and people love it. And I love getting them too. I mean, I love it. So yeah, I think I think that broader definition. One other thing I'll say about this, I know I'm interviewing you here, so I'm sorry, but th- I do have one more thought about this, which is I didn't do this naturally. And I don't, I'll, I will humbly admit that I don't, think about other people as much, you know, as I, as it maybe sounds like I do having just said what I just said. But what I did was I've actually created some spreadsheets for myself where I write down everybody that I meet and the different groups or affiliations that I meet them through. And then I use that list as a way to go back and say, who are the people I want to stay connected to? Or if I, meet somebody new and they, they're looking to connect with other people, I'll go back through that list and say, oh, who can I connect them with? Or, hey, I've got this valuable thing, but I don't know who to send it to. I'll go back through that list and say, who in this list would benefit from this? And so it, it's a tool that I use to make myself better at this. And I've gotten compliments that are like, wow, you're a great networker or wow, you have you're, a great memory. You're or- so thoughtful. You have a great memory. And I'm like, actually, I don't. I'm just <laughs> good at building tools. and and using those tools for myself. So I think if anyone's listening to this and they're like, I'm just not like that, you don't have to be. You just, I think knowing you're not like that is actually better and then fill in the gaps in whatever way you need to to help support that type of approach. I think that's, it's funny you mentioned that because I used to have like the very best memory, like the very best. Like I remember back when I was in staffing we would be going through candidates for a job and I would be like, what about that person? And, you know, everyone would be like, who was that? And I was like, she's wearing a red dress. Her name's Tony. She works here. She, you know, whatever it may be. But that's one of those things that I've seen over time. I'm like, oh, not quite as good as it used to be. So whenever I started new jobs, I would pull up the old spreadsheet And I would keep notes on my colleagues, especially when they were in different offices, because it was really hard to keep track of, you know, 
who has a family, who has kids, where did they travel last? Just little things that like you, you remember when you see someone every day, but someone you don't, you lose track of. And I always thought that that was really helpful to do that, to cement those relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. There's an old book, Swimming with Sharks, maybe, or something like that. But it was the the McKay 66. And it was actually like a one-page doc or two-page doc with like 66 questions. And you would fill it out about everybody you knew. It's a little too cumbersome. But I mean, it was really like this guy would write down everything he knew and then he would study it before he would go meet people. And, you know, everybody just thought he had a great memory. And it's not that he was being fake. He just was, he wanted to give them a good experience. Wanted to engage with them. It's kind of like they say, you know, to be a good networker, you have to be a good listener. There's a part of that that goes into it. Um, You have to give people the attention in the areas they're happy about, that they're excited about. Yeah. Well, want to be respectful of your time here. This has been a really interesting conversation. I do have maybe two more questions. I want to reframe a question that I normally ask at the end of these. So so let me ask you, what is the purpose of a job? I think when it gets down to the heart of it, the primary purpose of a job is financial stability, right? So making sure we have the funds to pay our bills, do the things we want to do. I think if you ask most people if they would work, if it was free, you know, if they weren't getting paid, um, I think that they would be so busy figuring out what to do to earn money, right? That That's a tough question. I think there are side benefits of work that jump out to me. I mean, the connectivity, the engagement with other people, um, the skill development. There's so many different aspects of work that I think it's hard to narrow just one purpose on that side. And I'm sure different people get different things. I think that's a fine answer. Wasn't looking for the textbook, just looking for your your perspective and your definition. My last question for you is just what parting advice would you have or what message would you want somebody in their job search to hear? Either some, either reinforce something that we've talked about or maybe anything that we didn't talk about. Like what, what would you want to leave the job-seeking audience with? I think I would want them to know that I am confident that they have had the experiences um, that others would find valuable in a different role. I would want job seekers to really think about what areas they need help on because we all need help in different areas. When I think of one of my primary groups of people I help, they are just amazing professionals, but they need a ghostwriter of sorts. They have these amazing experiences, awesome skills, but they just don't quite know how to translate it into a story that makes sense to others. Would it be fair to say that they need a career editor? They need the career editor. The career editor, yes. <laughs> yes, that's fair. <laughs> uh, Leah, this has been awesome. I think this would be incredibly valuable for folks who are listening. And I, I do want to say too, it's easy to listen to an interview with somebody and think, oh, that person isn't reachable or, oh, that's good advice but 
you know, I, I need more. And so I, I can't get help. Like you do this for a living. This is your, this is what you do. This is your business. So if anybody's out there listening to this, who does need help connect with Leah, look in the show notes, all of her information will be there. I mean, if you need the help, reach out and ask for the help. I just want to be clear about that. Cause sometimes we have these conversations and the person in your position can add so much value. And I think it's easy for somebody who's listening to this to be like, oh, well, I, you know, I can't reach out to that person. They're doing podcast interviews and they must be too busy. But I mean, this is what you're here to do. So I just want to encourage people to to reach out if they do need the help. Yeah, I would be definitely happy to help people on this side, on the coaching side. And I always laugh, O'Brien, because Many of my clients I've gotten from the funniest formats, from things like Facebook posts and um, neighborhood associations and clubs. So bring it on. All right. You heard them, people. Bring it on. Leah, thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. And uh, everybody listening, if you're in a job search, best of luck to you. Hope you you tell a good story and, and get to the right place. Thanks for your time and thanks for bringing me on. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.